say for the sake of argument, your friend Gabe is starting to worry you. Gabe's always been just, you know, a, a regular guy, not very political. He likes video games, sci-fi, comics, Star Wars, and anime. White guy shit. The only offbeat thing about him is you suspect there's like a 20% chance he's a furry. For all intents and purposes, Gabe is a normie. But recently, Gabe's been spending a lot of time on some radically conservative forums, and listening to radically conservative podcasts, and picking some radically conservative arguments with you and your friends. You never would have expected this, not from Gabe. And given the speed it's happened, it's worrying to think where it might be headed. How have the alt-right gotten their hooks into your friend? If you've ever known a Gabe, this video's for you. Here's how to radicalize a normie. Step 1. Identify the audience. What you need to know before we begin is, around 2013, the Nazis went online. Hate groups in the U.S., as tracked by the Southern Poverty Law Center, had been growing in number since the Nazis, but between 2012 and 2014, they dropped by almost a quarter. Patriot groups dropped by over a third. However, hate crimes stayed about the same. Radical conservatism was not shrinking, but decentralizing. Still radical, and still often violent, but now full of white nationalist nomads unlikely to join a formal organization. This didn't make them harmless. What it did was protect their asses from the typical hate group cycle of getting the public's attention, making allies in conservative media, swelling their numbers, and then eventually disgracing themselves with failures in fighting and, often enough, members committing horrific acts of violence, which come with social and sometimes legal consequences for all the other members. So the alt-right and their fellow travelers these days don't so much have members. They have hashtags, followers, viewers, and subscribers. This insulates them from their own audience. If Gabe, as a member of that audience, were to go out and commit a crime on their behalf, there'd be little doubt they had a hand in radicalizing him, but it'd be very hard to claim they told him to do it. On some of these sites, where Gabe spends hours and hours of his day, he's never created an account or left a comment. The people radicalizing him don't even know he's there. This distributed nature is what makes the alt-right and the movements connected to it unique. You may remember a notable proof of concept for this strategy. Doing almost everything online has, as compared with traditional hate movements, dramatically increased their reach and inoculated them from consequence. The trade-off is a lack of control. And so we come to Gabe. Gabe exists at the intersection of the kinds of people the alt-right is looking for, straight white cis men who feel emasculated by modern society, primarily, though they do make exceptions, and the kinds of people who are vulnerable to recruitment. Gabe fits the first profile in that he got bullied in high school and often feels he has to hide his nerdy side for fear of getting ridiculed. The alt-right also has success with men who can't get laid, or recently got divorced, or feel anxious about an influx of non-white people in their community. These things can make one feel like less than the confident white man they are supposed to be. And it's the closest they will ever come to being minoritized. Regarding the second profile, it's important to know that Gabe is not categorically different from you or me. He's a cishet white dude. His problems are not unique. There's not a ton of research into the demography of the alt-right, but there may be a higher-than-average chance Gabe has a history of being abused or comes from a broken home. You don't know if that's true of Gabe, he's never said. But most abuse survivors don't become Nazis. 
The things that make people like Gabe recruitable tend to be situational. It happens often during periods of transition, as dramatic as the death of a loved one, or as benign as moving to a new city. Things that make people ask big life questions. Gabe has concerns like economic precarity, not knowing his place in a changing world, stressful working conditions. In other words, Gabe is suffering under late capitalism, same as everyone, and it's entirely plausible he could have gone down the path to becoming a leftist. Now, this is not to make an economic anxiety argument. The animating force of the far right is and always has been bigotry. But the alt-right targets Gabe by treating his economic anxiety as one of many things bigotry can be sold as a solution to. It is their aim that when dissatisfied white men go looking for answers, they find the alt-right before they find us. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Shooting the Ship with Liv and Jay. I am Jay. I'm Liv. As always, we have our friend Jose with us. Say hello, Jose. What's going on, everyone? Uh, we have Levi with us. Say hello. Hi, guys. And Shannon. Say hello, Shannon. Hello. Alright, guys. Um, so, uh, in this episode... It's going to be a little different. We're just going to have a... We don't really have a formal topic today, but I do want to talk a bit about uh, the alt-right. Um, and when I say the alt-right, I'm not talking about one-of-the-mill conservatives. Um, I'm talking about Nazis, ladies and gentlemen. You know, real full-blown Nazis and not even just Nazis like like what leads up to people becoming Nazis and I mean American here in America Nazis they actually exist uh, what made me think of this is last week we were talking to well not last week our last show we were talking to uh, Liv, you remember, we were talking to Ray, and I mentioned yeah. to Ray that the alt-right, uh, one of their reasons for, you know, being against abortion and and uh, birth control and everything is because, you know, they, they want white women to have more babies, and one of the reasons behind that is because of uh, the Great Replacement Theory, which is a Nazi conspiracy theory um and i felt like i didn't really explain myself uh well enough you know um yeah oh. uh, yeah these nazis are a problem go ahead Lou. go ahead 
Oh, well, I think, I think particularly with that episode, we were talking about our personal experience, which is guys that are, you know, on the left are progressive or liberal that we've, that we've encountered. So it was, uh, just, that's what we were weighing on because, you know, th- that stuff was a little bit. But, like, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this this is this is really a problem because this is what the alt right is now the mainstream right wing now. Um, this is where QAnon comes from. This is where uh, you have your Donald Trumps, your 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 Mala News, your your Shapiro's, all these type of guys, um, and even the, they're not. Uh, you know, full-blown Nazis, at least, you know, <laughs> not on the surface, anyway. Uh, so, um, really, what I want to what I want to get into is how the right the right wing recruits. Um, back in I want to say two thousand and nine, uh, the right wing. The alt right, sorry, uh, went online. Uh, they started uh, infiltrating groups uh, like 4chan and uh, 8chan and everything. Uh, there's actually a guy, I forget his name, he actually talked about this. He said, Well, um, how can we recruit more uh, young white males? And, um, Basically, what they do is they find the the uh, the most vulnerable white males to to indoctrinate. And when I say the most vulnerable, I mean the the most you know the people who feel like they're they're the most ostracized in society. So basically, nerds. You know, they're going to get nerds and they're <laughs> you know people who watch anime, people who play video games. People who feel like they're not really part of society. Uh, think well, about your most of the population that are yeah. to find their place in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's a very vulnerable population. Yeah. Like uh, so, a lot of their interaction, their uh, uh, social group come from are you know based online, and that makes them vulnerable. Mm, yeah. I mean, they they don't really have people to, uh, you know, they don't have anybody to um, really embrace them at all. So they find these online groups and think about how we all met each other. Now, you know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same thing, you know. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really really sinister how, how they do this like uh, and I, I wanna I wanna uh, like like what the hell man like where's the left going wrong here uh, is there something we can do to intercept these people well like what if we started the get-go so like what like does that make sense to start the get-go so there's these people that are potentially lonely and they're trying to find their place in the world and maybe like the extent of their socialization is through internet and online groups so like mm-hmm. what does it like do you think some of this stuff comes from 
people being lonely and not having a personal like uh, uh, real life group to check them or like how do you think that this that this vulnerable group starts getting uh, sucked down these tunnels I mean the biggest thing I'd say psychologically speaking especially when you have those already like formative years these are young adults or are like all just past adolescence individuals who are coming into the world and and expressing their themselves in various ways so it comes with a lot of risk at that time and for instance like you take anime for example take anime 20 years ago when you were all first learning about anime, if you came out as an anime fan, you were ostracized almost immediately. It was not at the time culturally, socially acceptable. Versus now, it's almost to the point where like, if you don't know anime and don't speak a little Japanese, you're almost out of the loop. You're you're behind the eight ball. In the sense that these groups were so much more easily radicalized at the time because of that formative time of their life. And where the right, all they have to do is say that you belong regardless of the political affiliations that they actually may have they'll because they feel listened to and they feel accepted and they don't feel immediately ostracized they feel as though they're they belong and the political ideologies aren't even brought into play until of course later on when they're like so you know i, I, I hear you like anime and all this other anime stuff that's so cool bro that's so cool you know that that uh anime's a great thing in Japan, and we love that. We love that for that reason. It's great and wonderful. Um, so, I, I, don't, but like, don't we just hate feminists? Don't we just love boobs? Don't you? Don't you think we need more boobs in anime? Like, yeah, we need more boobs in anime. And then, so it's like, and, and, and that takes a turn into like hypersexualization of things. And then when people say, "Oh, I really love anime women and like all that fun stuff," and they fall fall more into that. Then they're like, "Wow, you're really oversexualized people." It's like, "Oh, see, see," and they, and and they feel that pushback from a simple comment versus their own now discovered, quote unquote, um, group of, of people that they or feel accepted by. It's like, "Oh, well, my buddies, they understand me," and then it starts it starts the process on the. I I, I will say we I did watch one video before it's on this on this uh, podcast. But it, it's true. It starts at the farthest end of radicalization and slowly moves further and further inward into where you get to the pure, blown, fascist Nazis that are the worst. Yeah. I guess I, I just have a question, too. So I was one of like the uh, young nerds that was kind of like watching. And I, I hate to say nerds so stupid. But like I, I remember watching Inuyasha and stuff like 20 years ago. I can barely recall <laughs> any of the stuff. Like, cause it was like Adult Swim, was it? Was Friday night, was it? That they had like uh, anime and stuff like that. And I remember watching some of that. Yep. And I think, um, I think like, I think particularly thinking about Inuyasha, like I wonder about some of the themes in that like 20 years ago, like, um, there, first off, like with the animation, there is a lot of like neotony, like there is in like a lot of like major, you know, stuff. But like, I wonder if there wasn't like a degree of toxic masculinity, but maybe that was a greater part of the culture too at that time. But like, do you think that in any way there was 
some toxic pieces of anime if we were if we we're gonna bring anime into this that you know are kind of do they oh, reflect the time or just like an anime? Absolutely. You have a situation where like your main protagonist ten, nine times out of ten. This is where like people that like make fun of Shonen Jump is it's because we we love Shonen Jump for what it is, but also recognize it's like the most specific thing like you oh let me guess your main protagonist is kind of arrogant and a little bit annoying and doesn't take no for an answer but somehow stumbles his way through victory or he's a complete a complete moron for some reason and he completely oblivious to all things but is insanely powerful or is aloof from the world and like doesn't take anything seriously and like his comments go his comments just kind of go where like just kind of go over everyone and like he doesn't say anything do anything he wants and of course, it wasn't until later on in animes that your protagonists were not men. Like, yeah. Most protagonist, most animes, as a rule, your protagonist was male. Yeah. And also, like, I hate to single out anime too because, like, I mean, if you think about like just the, the dominant popular culture, like twenty years ago, like even very recently, it's still. Uh, some of the same ideals and some of the same scenarios. So I don't mean to single out anime completely. No, I mean th there's a whole there's a whole subculture of uh, of nerd that you know it's not just anime. It's like comic books. It's video games, and the alt right pretty much infiltrates all these groups. Um, looking for you know young people to indoctrinate and you know for some reason the left doesn't really have a a, uh, a uh, you know an equivalent to that we don't really have a a recruiting ground uh, everyone everyone everybody here became a leftist on their own like we didn't we didn't really there's no group that we joined we joined up. You know what I mean? <laughs> At least, you know, I'm speaking for myself here. Yeah, I, I think exactly. the reason... Go, Go ahead, Levi. I, I think a big part of the reasoning behind that is is that same ideology that has been left versus right for a long time of the left plays by the rules. We do things the right way. We're going to go... We're going to take the moral high ground because that's the quote-unquote right thing to do. And we can't you know, criticize somebody else for doing it the wrong way if we're also going to do the same thing. So because of that, we, we shackle ourselves to that ideal and that, that moral high ground of, well, you know, we're not going to uh, go to YouTube algorithms and indoctrinate these these young teens that are just, you know, sitting and, and scrolling the YouTube feed for hours and hours on end because it's not the right thing to do. And that's that's a huge part of the reason that we're so far behind as far as recruitment goes and that sort of an ideal. Like, we're not willing to play those games. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking about, um, and this may be like my own blinders that I have on, but I don't really consider myself an extremist. But the thing that extremists are really good at is propaganda. And I, I mean, they, the way that the far right is able to propagandize things and they're masterful with using different forms of media and, um, I mean, it's really, it's really quite impressive, to be totally honest, but people who are in the center or a little bit left of center, we're not thinking in terms of recruitment because it's not, 
we don't identify in that way as needing recruitment. And so I, I just wonder if it maybe is um, as simple as is that we, we don't we don't use propaganda and we don't recruit and that by our very nature, then there are fewer and we have less of a voice. I think from a from a statistical standpoint, there are actually fewer alt-right. We just hear more from them because they know how to play the game and they know how to be loud about it. So we don't necessarily recruit because we do have greater numbers. You can have a conversation with somebody and, in general, agree on the same basis of things, and it's going to be the outliers. Those then that's that's part of the reason that the alt-right is so loud and active in the way that they do things is because they do understand that they are on the minority side of things. And that's part of what they they use as fuel for that fire of you know well it's it's you know uh, what do they call themselves the uh, the silent majority but they're not actually a majority they they play they play on that belief but it's it's actually like statistically there are much fewer of them than us if you look at the turnout for you know liberal marches versus the turnout for like alt right rallies they're like the numbers are insanely skewed and not in their favor at all. And, um, and there you, is something about there is something about and there is something unethical about propaganda. So I mean, like going back to what Shen was saying too, but like yeah, then what Levi said, I agree. But like, I, I'm just supporting you. Right, um, Levi, I, I, I actually want to uh, expand on what you just said. Um, yeah, there's a lot more of us than there are them. Like uh, you. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. But it seems like the right wing is always more organized. Um, they're always more, you know, I don't know. They're always more together, I want to say. Um, the left, uh, we have a, a, wild, a wide spectrum of what we call the left. And it seems like we're always, you know, fighting each other <laughs> instead of you know, focusing on a goal, um, the right wing, uh, yeah. they're just better at that than us, you know? Go ahead. And I would say better, it's more that we're always, like, we have so many, like, battles we are fighting on the front. Like, we are, like, so, like, you throw a dart in a dark room, you'll hit any one of a thousand social issues we are all simultaneously fighting. And you're right, the left is kind of, I have a tendency to attack each other because it, it, we get to the point where like, oh, you're not fighting for Native American uh, and, and indigenous rights, and I am. Oh, you're not fighting for LGBT, LGBTQ rights, and I am. You're not fighting, and like, you get a lot of that backlash in the community itself. But it's also because we're always on the front lines fighting for these things, which all the alt-right has to do is like, we don't like any of those things collectively. We hate all of them. They're all stupid and crazy. Come to our side. It's easy. It's easy to like in that sense of like the legwork. All they have to do is to say that's stupid, and those people are psychotic, and those people are crazy. Versus us, we're literally having to fight against indoctrinated, uh, like systemic racist systemic issues that have been going on for centuries. So our uphill struggles are exhausting. Versus they can just sit on the couch and just and, and text to their buddy about, um, oh yeah, did you hear about what AOC said? She was so crazy. And like, and like, that's all they have to do. Or my most recent thing that I thought was ridiculous again, 
right, like specifically right wing alt right people that will be like, oh, aren't you the transphobe for not supporting someone like Caitlyn? Like, like they all they have to do is throw something back in our face while we're battling, versus them basically being spoon fed content in a way. Like, all, like, like these individuals can have infinite content because all they have to see is like, okay, what's the left doing? Oh, they're fighting for uh, indigenous rights. Awesome. That's stupid. And that's all they have to do. I think that you're absolutely touching on on the basis of it there, and that's that what the left does is we find things that we see as issues and we work to fix them, whereas what a lot of the alt-right does is say, well, these are going to be the problems that you're going to face if we don't unite, and that's their fixing things, uniting, pulling people together. That's how they quote-unquote fix things. And that's part of you know what what will lead to, to fallout of or people uh, leaving those those circles is when they see that that doesn't actually fix the problems that they're they're complaining about. Whereas the left is you know when we're not fighting each other or ourselves, um, we're looking for solutions and we're putting in the work to fix the problems. And the right the alt right does not care about fixing problems. They just care about not being. Um, you know, swept under the rug, or as they, you know, call it, replaced, or, you know, any number of, of recruitment terms that they have. It's because we put forth the effort, and, and like Jose said, it's so much easier to not put forth the effort and instead to criticize something. That takes zero effort whatsoever. It takes zero effort to poke holes in something that you disagree with, or to even, you know, not actually poke holes in, in something and just make shit up about it, because that's so easy to do as opposed to finding the problems and addressing them in the right ways, like we're trying to do right now. We're having a conversation about how to fix these things. What, what, what alt-right, you know, group is having a conversation of, you know, how do we, how do we unite with the left? How do we fix this, these disparities? How do we address these problems in any way other than how do we just get more people on our side? Um, I, I first wanted to um, provide some clarification. I wasn't talking about raw numbers of leftists. Um, I was talking about uh, extremist groups. So right-wing extremist groups versus like, you know, anti-fascist, whatever, left-wing extremist groups. They're, they're louder than, than the, the side that I, I guess we all rest on or I do. But to, to your point, which I think is Again, I'm going to use the word propaganda, and I don't mean to oversimplify, but propaganda by its very nature plays on something more powerful than let's come together, let's be inclusive, let's, you know, dismantle systemic barriers, um, and that's fear, and that's primal, and it's, it's much more compelling for people to sign on to. Yeah, um, basically, those damn feminists are coming for our video game. Those SJWs are trying to change our comic books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, those politicians are trying to make it illegal to be straight and white. It's yeah. you know, it's always it's always been fear based. It's been like that for as long as I can remember. Uh, and you know, you know, it's it's easy to to you know play on people's fears. The, the right wing, and I'm talking about just conservatives now. They've been doing. That's been their strategy since the 1970s. You know what I mean? When they started the Southern strategy, it's all fear-based, and the alt-right has taken that and you know made it you know a lot more racist. 
and sexes and for some reason um, it's very appealing to a lot of young people now I've talked to a lot of a lot of young people who have realized that yeah yeah this is fucking stupid <laughs> so we shouldn't be doing this anymore so they leave the alt right and you know they have a hard time finding an in ways into the left because what the left does is we like to gatekeep everybody so um i, I want to talk about uh what we can do to be more welcoming to these people who want to turn their lives around um who don't want to be you know a nazi anymore <laughs> To put it lightly, uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I understand um, we have to be cautious when people say, well, I'm not a Nazi anymore. Uh, I understand we have to be cautious, but what can we do um, to not to not uh, be so, you know, off-putting or, or uh, turning these people away just for, you know, just because of what they used to be? Go ahead, Liv. Well, I was I was just thinking about um, to like try to connect it back to like uh, okay, so there's this vulnerable population that is apt to be indoctrinated and is maybe looking for a group or something to join. And I'm curious, uh, what are the so we we kind of touched on this a little bit, like okay, so how do they get? How did it get roped up in, like, the freaking alt-right? Like, what are the needs of this population that gets swooped up in this shit? You know what I mean? Because I feel like we haven't, guess, like... Yeah. No, uh, and that's where I was trying to... Trying, I was trying to earlier, like, this usually happens in formative years of, of people's lives. When they try to get, like, a, a, acclimated to the world. I mean, like, why it's unsurprising collegiate individuals go from being like moderates to either alt-right by the end of their collegiate career or progressive leftists mm -hmm. it's, it's it's something it's, it's something that's very natural socially because it's what groupings more or less give you affirmation like positive affirmations um positive reinforcements because those things will create fealty Essentially, oh, you're the ones. You're the group that looked out for me when I was going through my formative years. You're the ones who had my back in those in, in those instances. And as far as the lefts, like the, the 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 thing with the left is it has so many issues going on at once that we don't necessarily like touch on any particular thing someone that might be going through in those formative years per se mm -hmm. though we definitely do actually have that we may not necessarily reach them in those moments and make them feel more more welcome accepted affirmed um and reinforce like those positive things with us versus an alt-right individual like again they don't usually lead with I believe these Nazi fascist-esque thoughts and, and politically um, ideal uh, political ideologies. They lead with other things. They lead with almost like unwanted acceptance of everyone, and 
unbridled acceptance of everyone as long as you're not a filthy liberal. Which is ironic because liberals are usually the ones who turn right, if anything, because they're so centrist, they don't know which way to go. Um, and so for like I, a solution on our end is finding that empathetic connection. Like, what are they going through? What is their struggles? What is their emotional needs at that point in time? And social needs, because it, it comes down to, like, like most of these individuals, specifically if it's talking about nerd culture people, are dealing with younger ostracization in their formative years. So when they're six, seven, eight, nine years old, and they're, oh, I like anime, I like comic books, I like Lord of the Rings, I like Star Wars, and they weren't accepted. Then later on, they go into another formative part of their lives, and they're still those people, they still are those nerdy kids, but it's going to become slightly different. Their thoughts are are more advanced, their, their needs are significantly different as well. And so if they don't feel like their needs are being met emotionally, mentally, and physically, and on an empathetic level, they will most likely not stay in that group for very long. And because, I mean, we we do, um, let's be honest with each other, us as leftists eat each other alive sometimes. And that is a very turbulent um, environment to start your political journey in. And the right isn't as turbulent to their eyes it seems so it seems so put together so so conducive it's no it's not it's horrible it's terrible and it creates literal monsters but to the outside eye it looks calm we have to be the people that at that state at those early stages those baby leftists those baby whatever they're going to become need to be handled with extreme care because those loud alt writers will always sound like the loudest voice in the crowd even as, as levi pointed out they are actually the minority politically but they'll sound incredibly loud and there's definitely the voices will carry so in those moments those formative years that's what we have to make sure we're doing is finding what their political emotional mental needs are and showing that like i again this was on telling everyone recently too really in true reality the answers that most people are seeking are do not lie on the right they do not lie in conservatism ironically they really only they only lie in progressivism progressivism and left progressivism Specifically, like that's how those solutions will be will actually be uh, completed. Versus the alt right really not having solutions, just loud voices. So, like, if I were gonna abstract this out um, to a certain extent, I would say, like, um, I don't know how to have this conversation about how to, because um, I feel like when we're talking about like how do we prevent people going to the alt right, we're t- talking about men and we're talking about young men and I don't know how to have this conversation other than also like talking about sexism and stuff too so like if we talk about like just because if we're gonna abstract this out and make it really fucking oversimplified but I'm just thinking about how um so 
the alt right. What does the alt right say? Nothing's wrong. You don't have to progress forward on these and this many topics. And、um, I think about sexism, and I think about、um, the people that are attracted to alt right. Well, we don't have to change it all, and they're fucking everything up with their uh, progressive uh, ideas. And、uh, and I feel like there's something archaic about that that they're latching onto. Some stuff that's you know sexist, homophobic, etc., and I don't know how to drag that into the future because like you got you got to challenge those beliefs, and it's obviously harder to challenge that and to make people overcome that because I think especially like whenever I think about an alt right and for like please take off my blinders, but whenever I think about、um, young people that are attracted to the alt right, you know are they mad at the women that? You know, won't have sex with them. Are they mad at their women not meeting some kind of vi- feminine ideal and some kind of weird, abstracted, fucking binary bullshit? But I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because that's what I go to in my brain whenever someone says things are fine. Let's stick. Let's stay here. Um. Okay. So in in my uh my tumbling down the rabbit hole of uh alt right uh. Recruitment. I did stumble down、um, the incel community rabbit hole, and、uh, that's where that's yeah. If we're gonna talk about you know the alt right, we have to bring up、um, the, the incel community.、Um, uh, yeah, uh, you're talking about sexism. Yeah, a lot of these young guys、um, don't know how to talk to women. Um, uh, you know, TV and movies and、uh, comic books and video games in particular, really video games, have a a poor、uh, depiction of what real women are supposed to be.、Um, a lot of video game characters who are women are very oversexualized. So you know that's that's what young young boys、uh, think women are. So when when they first of all they don't know how to talk to women at all. So when they do talk to women and they're being you know creepy as hell,、uh, for lack of a better phrase,、um, <laughs> yeah,、uh, it doesn't really work out for them. So. You know they find the intel community and、uh, yeah well, the, the alt right the alt yeah the alt right has a, a hand in that too. Go ahead, Liv. Some of the jokes that they make fun of, right? It's like a girl's like, "What? What's the meme? Like, can you like the guy says, 'Can you make me a sandwich?'" And the chick goes, "Well, can you build me a house or something like that?" And like, yeah. But I mean, like, and like, and we're talking about young guys, right? We're talking about the young guys that are vulnerable to this shit. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know I don't I don't know how to have a conversation about this without talking about like oh yeah that's that、uh, sexism is definitely a big part of it. it's definitely a big I mean part of being a Nazi is being you know misogynist Levi I see you I see you yeah so I I think that、uh, a lot of what we're kind of skirting around without directly addressing is that a lot of these people. 
uh, we'll call them people, guys is primarily the right term here. A lot of them are looking for identity. They're looking for something to identify with because that gives them something to cling to, that gives them something to help them feel as though they're part of something. And there are other people out there who understand them. Now, a lot of you know that basis in identity it comes from society around right so when they're they're holding these sexist beliefs when they're they're building these communities that are are you know upheld by a common joke of you know oh yeah those liberals are so sensitive those feminists are, are just a cancer like they're ultimately doing an internalization they're they're looking to the things that they were taught or the things that they may feel you know oh yeah I, I'm taught by by media, and they may not even realize it, but you know, you're taught by media that to be a successful man, you have to be big and strong and provide for your woman, but she also needs to provide these things for you. And if you don't fit within that box, there's something not wrong with you, but something wrong with everything else that's going on. And it's, oh, it's because the feminists are pushing this agenda. So it's, it's a refusal, again, to do the work that's needed. Um, and I think that that you know a lot of it definitely does stem from, um, and I, I hate to say it because the left is always bandying it about is you know that's this big talking point. But like toxic masculinity has so much to do with with fueling these young men because there's so many expectations of what they should be as taught to them by you know the propaganda machines that are the entirety of capitalism but also imperialism through the military or being taught by your your father oh yeah you know you you shouldn't show your emotion that's you know that's what pussies do that's that's some bitch shit right there you shouldn't do that like turning all of it into you know vulnerability is bad teaches these people that instead of you being vulnerable it's not your fault you should take it out on someone else and there's so much of that that's ingrained in it exactly exactly yeah um a, a while ago we were gonna do a show about toxic masculinity but I, I, I uh I felt that it was good to just roll this all into one because this is this is basically the whole show right here. This is what it boils down to. Um, yeah, the patriarchy is a very big part of this. And uh, there's no way we can talk about um, the alt-right without talking about how dangerous the patriarchy really is. Because it hurts men, too. Because we have to live up to the, these expectations. And... A lot of the time, when you when you're not living up to this expectation, um, you feel inadequate. You you feel uh, like there's something wrong with you. And what the right wing does, the alt right in particular, they say, no, it's nothing wrong with you. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to to uh, you know listen to you know feminists or anything like that it's their fault it's society's fault and you should work to change society to meet to meet your expectations and you know yeah uh that's how a lot of them get recruited into that go ahead Liv. i was just thinking like my perception of like uh like being raised in like rural Perry county is very much that these old-fashioned ideals and um uh and so the the guy that doesn't accept 
the woman that has an abortion is the guy that doesn't accept uh, the trans folk that doesn't accept anything else and like I, I, I talk about sexism because it's something I can talk about but like you know it, it just it just continues and flows on from there but like I, I that's 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 where I'm at you know I don't remember who was talking about the um you know the indoctrination process starting whenever you know kids are just starting to find their groups where they belong and stuff like that but I mean you can see the um the loss of empathy in children really really young um and I think a lot of schools are still behind the curve in terms of doing their part for prevention efforts really ultimately it is what it is it's violence prevention you know both on a large scale and on a small scale but like bullying intervention because we're talking about empathy you know they the policies were zero tolerance you're going to be suspended or expelled you know for acting violently or behaving this way when whenever the focus really should have been on why children are so angry and and why they feel compelled to exert power over others that they perceive to be weaker so i don't i don't know exactly if this discussion is centered on you know what what do you do what's the strategy you know and stuff or if it's just my particular focus because of my you know my career but it i think there's a lot of opportunity for prevention um that that is really untapped and maybe is more outside of the box than a lot of people um might think about sometimes i mean definitely that would be like i mean i was one who was talking about the indoctrination like in the formative years um because i i always think of things through the lens of psychology because that's what i like to study um but with that at the same time that's exactly when toxic masculinity has a tendency to set in um because those things aren't checked though because Basically, the worst thing about toxic masculinity, it's rarely checked. It's rarely like, actually, no, that doesn't make things better. Um, and in general, and, and this actually has a significant consequence to this behavior. For instance, the idea of exerting power over another. Doesn't, and those, especially with those ages, does not really have that high of a consequence as a child. Because what's the consequence? Oh, don't do that. It doesn't really have even an emotional consequence because you feel almost the immediate um, instant gratification of, I feel better, I feel in charge, I feel in control, I this feels good. Versus someone being like, hey, you behaving this way and treating another... No. I'm going to pull a nerd card thing, best example to do this. Let's take Ron Weasley and how he treats Hermione in the very first... Uh, book and movie of Harry Potter. So he's exerting his own power and his toxic belief and thought process because we all know later on they like each other, but in that first book, in that first movie, specifically how he treats her is incredibly misogynistic, demeaning, and was not checked. No one checked him on how he treated her. In fact, it almost technically got her killed because of how horribly she he, was treating her. She ran into the bathroom where the troll found them and that whole thing. But that's kind of the point. 
those moments should have been like, hey, Ron, why was Hermione in this bathroom? Oh, it's because you treated her like trash garbage and you literally almost got her killed and you should understand the emotional necessity of you never doing that again because you literally almost hurt somebody permanently with your toxic behavior and your emotional scarring of this person. Those things where it's in that unfortunately does not happen very rarely happens in actual social settings and especially scholastic settings because teachers have have a hundred of a thousand things going on with their days and our education system is absolutely absolutely trash garbage like there's that, that's a whole other unpacking exactly yeah. i think that that's perfect i think that's exactly it so, like, a lot of these guys that are people that were raised with that and that being normalized, like, oh, if he's bullying you, that means he likes you, etc. Like, all these behaviors are considered normal, even if they're traumatic for the people that are on the other end of that. And it goes unchecked, and it has gone unchecked for so long. So then we find these people that are being challenged, like, no, where's your empathy? We gotta be progressive. And they're like... Well, it was fine all along. What do you mean it don't work anymore? And then they're like, oh, well, I'll just go over here where I'm not the bad guy anymore. It's, it's the way I perceive it. Well, I think, I think one of the things that we forget, you know, as adults is that these skills of like bystander intervention, which is that, you know, the act of somebody checking somebody who is behaving or treating somebody inappropriately, those are skills that are learned and need to be taught. They're not, it's not an inherent quality. Um, and I think that's another example of gatekeeping of the left is that we are very quick to um, moralize things uh, instead of teaching, I, I guess, for, for lack of a better way to say it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically uh, uh, why I wanted to provide some examples of you know positive masculinity, if there is a such thing. Um, I, like personally, I I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to start with that because you know I know exactly where to start with positive masculinity. Go ahead. Don't mind me. Okay. So I have been a female machinist. My sister has been a female welder. And I have had so many men that were not colleagues, like they were not on my same level, but couldn't, they were not coworkers. Um, in German, they call them colleagues. So I like, I just stick with that because I think it's proper, you know? Uh, but um, I've had so many men that have, that were in supervisory roles to me that said, hey, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to succeed in this job. And I believe in you and I want you to be here. And I think you've got something to offer. And those men that were protecting me from the rest of the men that were competing with me and that were being toxic and that were sexually harassing me and that were making me fear in a really real, real way. Those men that were that used their masculinity to protect me and to educate me and to give me tools so that I could protect myself. That's fucking positive. That's that's positive masculinity, right there. And I'm I'm so grateful for that every time I've encountered it. That's a that's a great example. That's a great example. Anybody else? Examples of positive masculinity. It's, I think that there's a there are a lot of examples of it even within our um, 
our media that we consume. It's just so much of it is kind of tossed and skewed. Like, I mean, take the stereotypical uh, protector guardian figure, right? Now, we on the left tend to look at that as problematic because it's indicating that, you know, masculine equals strong, feminine equals weak and vulnerable. But in and of itself, the idea that um, you're putting yourself out there, regardless of your gender, regardless of masculinity or femininity, but the idea that you have the ability on a, on a physical level to protect somebody and using that because it's the right thing to do, not because it's what it's, what's expected of you. You know, I think that there, the idea and example of that just it's it permeates our culture. You know, you think of the the Herculean ideal. You know, look at look at the Disney movie Hercules, right? Now it's a far cry from what actually happened through Greek mythology, but in its telling uh, and uh, in its um, watering down for capitalism, if you will. Um, the idea that he's not a hero until he selflessly gives of himself to protect for someone else, right? He becomes a god at the point in time that he gives up his life in exchange for hers. The idea that, you know, in and of yourself, you can provide for someone else based upon your stature, based upon the natural difference in biology, right? If somebody's more masculine, testosterone itself builds muscle more quickly and adequately than estrogen does so somebody who has more masculine qualities is generally seen as somebody who is physically stronger and and more capable of you know those those base you know if we're talking about you know primal things right primal fear primal uh need to fit in the the primal idea that um to be masculine is to be the protector i think that that in its purest form can be positive Right on, right on. Go ahead, go ahead. And this is, I want to say, like, where a lot of incel culture, unfortunately, does spiral out because they feel demasculinized because they're, like, they feel unattractive. Um, And where positive masculinity has come into play, um, I'll never forget this, this goofy meme online, but it's absolutely true. It's a bunch of guys working out like all incredibly built and you see this very thin very like brand new workout guy come in and do one set of like the bar and all of them are surrounded and it's like dude bro those are the best set i've ever saw in my life and it's, inc- and it's like that encouragement of just putting in anything just working on yourself gets you that immediate encouragement it's like he's like oh man i'm trying to get like you bro i'm trying to get like you're 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 inspired me like you you with your like you walking in and and taking yourself into a place that you're not comfortable with to do one set on that bar is more inspiring than me doing a a thousand curls like the like that that kind of like positive reinforcement and positive masculinity which absolutely like a situation where it used to be like incredibly difficult for people to go work out i mean why planet fitness even back of the day became a thing was because it's like oh we don't do the lungs but now it's, it's so funny because there really isn't like in in some circles there is still lunkhead culture but it's significantly just like disbanded because everyone's doing something i feel like it's and where people are significantly more encouraging if you stretch 
like yo bro i like that like what teach me to do that, that like that high leg stretch you just did like it's significantly better in that way i mean that's something i, I experience like on a regular basis because like it's funny when, I, I kid you not i was just doing some random stretching thing the other day and this incredibly built gentleman was like was like yo like how do you get so flexible i'm like i don't know it's i've kind of been keeping at it and i'm thinking like this guy is my physical like goal versus him looking at me like i'm trying to get to that flexibility goal like how do you get to that that goal so it's just those can be very very like wonderful entryways for positive masculinities and and again in formative years when you're developing your body when your body is growing that is one of those things to get you away from the incel culture of oh women will never like me because i don't have ripley abs like no we will like you if you even do anything if you literally just have a positive like outlook on things if you walk into that gym and you pick up one medicine ball over your head and put it down we'll think you're the coolest person in the universe like, like oh man the guy just did a freaking one rep of that medicine ball it's probably his first time doing it that's awesome keep it going brother like yeah yeah that's awesome um i do have another example if i may go ahead so um i uh i recently uh, a few months back switched career paths so i uh i've been i prior to this was in food service for about 13 years or so and it you know in in food service a lot of what you see is um everybody's burnout everybody's tired and you do your best to support the people around you but ultimately at the end of the day there's a lot of compassion fatigue because people are just so tired of having to give and give and give of themselves continually. So um, I uh, I switched careers and now I'm in uh, um, and I hate to say it because I'm still I'm still not completely identifying with it yet. But um, I do door to door sales now, and um, like I I work for a window replacement company, and uh, at this point in time the the team that I'm on is the number one team in the country as of this month for um like appointments and leads set so one of the things that we do and one of the things that's that's kind of part of the culture uh with the job now i it's, it's by no means we don't primarily recruit males intentionally i'm not sure if it's the type of work or what but um as of right now i think all of the people that do the job that I do, uh, at least within our office of the company, and I think there's probably somewhere between 30 to maybe 40 of us, probably 30, closer to, um, we're all male. So it's a lot of testosterone, it's a lot of, you know, um, palling around, but the one thing that we, we do take very seriously, one thing that we put a lot of time and energy into is hyping each other up before we go out. And the idea that, you know, we're all working towards the same goal and it's not competition for the sake of i got more leads today than you did it's it's more so building and driving together to reach that goal of hey man we are the best in the country and we're the best in the country because of each person on this team like you make this happen bro you are the one who's going out there and and setting these leads and and ultimately trying to help the people that we're helping you know yes it is sales but we're addressing you know, concerns in people's homes that they might not realize are, are problematic for them down the road. And using the idea that we're big, loud, raucous guys to kind of hype each other up to do 
better amongst each other it, you know much like like jose was saying you know as as far as the gym goes like you know if it's one of our new guys first days and he sets his first lead by himself we like the entire office like there's a whole call center and everything like today when we were leaving they they put up streamers for us and they were were clapping and cheering as we were walking out the door and it's small and it's stupid but the idea that you can you can take that raw need for competition and that raw um, sheer force of determination that comes with just being a stubborn male like and turn it into that positive I think that that's another really cool uh, example of, of positive masculinity um, another uh, one example I want to give uh, Liv go ahead I'll, I'll let oh, you go yeah. first I'm sorry I'm sorry Jay. thank you yeah I think that I think that's fantastic I think that I think that I, I don't mean to make it some kind of inherent quality, but I think those are all excellent um, examples of what men can do when they get together and the stuff that they can do. And like, I, I mean, I think that's fantastic. I mean, like that, that that's absolutely beautiful and wonderful. And that's a good example of um, positive power and like not abusing one's power. And, but I've also known, like, growing up in a rural community, like, I think that men need to, and forgive me for uh, abstracting out to the binary men, women, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, like, so men come together and it's it, and they can do so much to support themselves and each other and stuff like that. But they also know that I've been on the other end being a, a female and so has Shannon of, like, what what can happen whenever um, groups of men also uh, use their power for the negative as well too. So like, I think that, you know, it's important to have um, men to like come into groups where they can have a leading thought, a leading idea and what to do with that. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably like rambling on a little bit, but like the, that's, 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 that's a, that's a super positive example, but like, I mean, also, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess I'm. I, I, I think I think what you were you, you're kind of uh, making my thought for me as as I was sitting here. Um, men, we have to recognize our privilege in society, um, especially sh- straight heterosexual men. You know. Uh, you mentioned Levi. You mentioned um, men who are, uh, you know, protective of of other people and such. I think men politically can use our privilege to fight for other people. Um, we can be feminists. We can be allies to to the uh, LGBTQ community. We can, you know, be allies to to pretty much any marginalized group. Um, I think that's the best um, example of positive masculinity using our male privilege on behalf on behalf of other people who who you know are more ostracized in society. Um, and and I'm, I'm talking about men who who feel inadequate. Those type of guys too. We could be there for them um, as leftist men. We can, you know, say, "Hey, man, you're you're not you're not inadequate because you don't live up to the patriarchal society's norms." 
uh, you don't have to be a big macho man. You you don't have to be you know uh, hyper successful. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be white. <laughs> you know you, you. Yeah. That type of stuff. We could use our privilege uh, for for good, and I think that's one of the best examples of positive masculinity. That, that's that, that, that's absolutely perfect, and that's kind of just what I was saying. Because like, uh, like groups of groups of men coming together and doing that stuff, yes, and like, um, and rally around progressive causes. Basically, is the best I could figure because I know that there's so much goodness, so much healthiness, and those are like excellent examples of men coming together and how healthy and how supportive and how wonderful it can be, or you know, whatever whatever you identify as like coming together like these groups are really important but i know also you know like that's basically the whole conversation that we're going on to too with like the alt right where we can it can be also super toxic so like not abusing your power using your power for good because i think it's something really powerful when groups of people come together and they support each other but like to what end and like yeah you're already talking about that jay and like exactly i'm sorry <laughs> If I may, I think that, so. A lot of what what has drawn me to the political stances and beliefs that I hold right now, you know, being being a leftist in today's day and age, I'm a straight passing white male between the ages of 18 and 35. I had to swallow the pill eventually that I am part of the entirety of the most privileged person on earth. Like I am the embodiment of the most privileged person on earth right now. And being aware of that and realizing that, you know, um, yes, my my position in an economical standpoint is fucked because of capitalism. But outside of that, I can't bitch for anything about the way that, you know, I or we being, you know, straight white males have been treated ever because it's it's continually been the fact that we're on top. So using my privilege to give a voice to others that don't have that privilege or don't have the position of privilege that I do has definitely been in my experience like that's that's what I find to be one of the most uh, worthwhile uses of my time and I've I've found that you know uh, when when you ask the question to what end when when we come together when when masculine individuals come together to you know push that positivity and hype each other up like jay was saying using that to support and defend and prop up the people around us is most important and i think the best way we can move away from those communities that would misuse that that would weaponize that instead that would push that to the right is by um being you know it, it, the more privilege you have the more vocal you need to be to the other people who have the same amount of privilege as you. I can't tell Jay, you need to do more. I can't tell Jose, you need to do more. I can't tell anybody in this you know, current conversation, you need to do more because currently I'm the one who needs to do the most because I have the most privilege and I have the most access to other people who have that same amount of privilege as me. And there are people out there who have more privilege than me because they do have that better economic standing. So pushing those people as well you know shouting and i hate to use use this terminology but shouting up the chain of you know privilege you need to do more you know here's here's some pieces to educate yourself with here's 
how you can be a better ally to the individuals who could benefit from your privilege. That's what we need to do. That's how we move forward from here, in my estimation. And I, 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 that that's that's wonderful. I agree with that completely. But I also think about like um like um uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but like I I think that I agree with you completely, Levi. But I'm also thinking about like um uh to make it also not a greater cause. Like with to like I mean just like how do we focus on individual interactions with the people that are around us? You know what I mean? Because like we can like talk about like greater causes and stuff like that but like it, it has to start with like interpersonal interactions and stuff like that and uh that kind of supportive thing i don't know i it's just, just an idea and i i forgive me for even bringing it up but no, <laughs> i think i think that you're absolutely right and you're on the right track with that because the the ideal it's the difference between an ideal and a tan- tangible right now an ideal is saying, okay, I need to push the people around me to use their privilege for more. But the tangible of that becomes, you know, when when somebody makes a, a sexist joke around me, disengaging with it, you know, um, and one of the most effective means I've ever seen that done is by just pretending you don't get the joke, right? I don't get it. Can you explain yeah. it? I don't get it. And then until they explain themselves away to the point where they realize that what they said wasn't funny, you know, and, and the that it's harmful to somebody that in itself you know not engaging on those jokes not feeling that personal need to be liked or you know it's it's the difference between personal and political at that point in time right if i laugh at this it's a personal connection for me but if i don't then i'm taking a political stance and understanding and, and pushing the idea that personal is political and it's it's there are differences between the two but at the end of the day like political just means what you believe mm-hmm. yeah remember, remember that Gillette commercial that came out a couple years ago remember that the best the best that men can get yeah yep. yeah it basically basically that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. uh you know stopping sexism when you see it you know you yeah know, being, being a real hero and I, I think we can we can appeal to a lot of guys that way too. Like, you know, being being a hero for other people, using using your privilege, you know, where 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 it really matters the most in your personal life. Go ahead. Uh, who me? Hello. <laughs> Hello? We're here. Okay, so anyway, I was just thinking about one particular thing, and I'm not... I, I, I supremely support positive masculinity and all of those things, but um, I was just thinking about... Um, so, uh, this, is, this is stupid, but I, I just want to throw this out here, too. And uh, it's stupid, but, like, um, so I think about... I've been... I've been uh, throttled and choked three times in my life and each time I was it was in the company of a group of men and each time no one reacted and minimized it and normalized it so I think down to a joke even and I just think that um, I know it's difficult 
when one belongs to a group to be the person that disagrees or to, you know, because obviously it's a group and it, it's difficult to be the person that separates from them and be like, oh, maybe this isn't okay. But um, I firmly believe that, you know, groups can, any group can become toxic and the instances in which one can stand with what they truly believe in and separate themselves I mean that's something that's really magical about the individual as well and I would just like to say like also that needs a good bit of honor because I I don't know <laughs> forgive me that's all that's probably all the most I can say about that <laughs> I think I think that you're absolutely right in that if if we're not actively calling out the things that we see and you know I, I hate to use the term policing um, but if we're not actively correcting and helping modify the behavior of those around us, we do co-opt it and we do become complicit in it. Um, you know, one of, one of the, the guys in my work van dropped a slur the other day and like, I, I stopped the conversation real quick. I said, Hey man, don't, don't use that word. Like you don't need to use that word to get across what you're trying to get across. There's hundreds of other words in the English language you could use. You don't need to resort to that one. And he's like, Oh, okay. Why does that bother you? And like, I, I told him, I said, it doesn't matter if it bothers me. There are other people that it may bother. And ultimately at the end of the day, that word is used to put somebody into a box that they don't necessarily belong in. So like do better to not do that. And in all honesty, like I've watched him kind of consider the words that he's been using more frequently uh, you know, when talking in the van. So, like, I think that that's the, the, the whole basis of it is, is, like you said, if a group is complicit, everybody is at fault. You know, if if you're not speaking up about it, then you're you're co-opting it and you're on board with it. Yeah, it's like Shannon said, we gotta be willing to teach. Yeah. Teach. Teach, yeah. Well, and so I'm wondering then, um, Levi, what what about that situation or what context can you provide to help me understand why you felt comfortable enough to do that and why in a group of people no one intervened when Olivia was being strangled? Do you, so I, 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 I fear that it's like a jockeying for alpha type situation potentially, but I'm not a man so I can't speak to that, but I'm curious to know what about that circumstance um made you feel empowered to intervene um yeah no that's and that's that's actually a really good question and and maybe one that i hadn't considered through its entirety so bear with me as i kind of uh work this through out loud but um i'm the sort of individual that from a very young age if if i felt that i was right about something i have a willingness to mug a mountain like i've i've always been very strong-headed like that um, but I don't have the need to be the best. I don't have the need to be the most liked. Like the whole idea of, you know, oh, that's an alpha thing. That's a beta thing. Like that's all bullshit to me. Like I don't personally adhere to the idea that I need to be on top, but it is important to me to speak up when there's an injustice around. Um, and in watching the ways that we interact with other people i've noticed that a lot of injustice is passed from you know just quote unquote harmless jokes through to becoming weaponized words 
you know, a, a word itself can be harmless if it's bandied about multiple times in a harmless manner, but the second one person starts using that word as a knife, then that's where a whole movement starts and, you know, you, you get all sorts of stupid terms like, you know, I, I could I could throw out, all, you know, 15 words that aren't swear words that, you know, uh, like take the word cuck, for example, right? Uh, an old word from the basis of the English language that, yes, in its in its infancy meant, you know, um, somebody whose wife is unfaithful to him. But now people have turned that term into it means that you're weak and it means that you're a beta and there's there's so much more connotation to it so you know challenging people when they even use words like that because that's that's a lot of how the alt-right does spread itself is through memes and through easy parlance and, and picking up and using that language so for me the reason i'm comfortable speaking up and saying something is because and it, it it may be that i am coming from a position of privilege you know if i'm telling this guy hey man don't drop the f-bomb and i'm not talking about fuck like don't use the f-word like there's you know no reason for it there's no ultimate you're you're not even well oh yeah i didn't mean it like that okay well, then use a different word like i don't have personally anything to lose in that interaction and i think that might be why it's so easy for me to do that whereas maybe somebody else might not have the positioning their privilege to be able to to do that so easily if that makes sense it does make sense it's a little depressing honestly but it makes sense and i'm saying that sort of tongue-in-cheek but that's my fear for this is that the solution isn't you know teaching people the skills to do it it's that the job is gonna fall to those who are inherently better positioned and and i just i you know my my profession makes me jaded as it is you know with that i work in child welfare so i work with law enforcement a lot i work with child abusers um trauma you know it's trauma central and so it's just um it's you know heartening to hear that there are people you know who are not afraid to use their privilege but it's disheartening you know, to, to think maybe that privilege is the, you know, the weapon that's going to fight it. Yeah. Sorry to be a downer. No, like, yeah, I, so think, I, I think that it's important that to acknowledge. The same thing that can defend. Am I wrong? Say that again, Lou. The same sword that cuts could be the same thing that protects. Well, I mean... Being a black man in America, I, I can I can really speak to that because, like, we've been in the black community, we've been saying, uh, like, for as long as I can remember, that the only way we stop racism is if is if white people, you know, stop being racist. Like, black people can't do anything; white people have to do it. So it's the same thing with men. You know what I mean? Men have to police other men. That's just the way it has to be. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's just no two ways about it. Go ahead. I know that sucks, but hey. Okay. Uh, to, fur to further that thought, like, you know, as as uh, a parent, I, you know, I have a, a daughter. She's 13. She's very much my mini-me. She's a social justice warrior. She 
you know, has that same mentality of I'm going to fight the fight because there are people out there who don't have that ability to fight. And I realize that at some point or another, she's going to encounter that wall of, you know, some there, there's the potential. And it's it's unfortunately a likelihood that there will be, you know, a guy in her life that has power over her and, and utilizes it in, an, you know, a potentially negative fashion and teaching her that you know listen ultimately at the end of the day you'll always have a safe place in my arms you'll always have a safe place as far as i'm you know concerned so if at the point in time somebody uses their privilege over you to violate your comfort or safety or whatever you know that might not be a battle that you can fight by yourself but i am here behind you at the point that you tell me you need me i won't assume that but i'm going to be here if you need me and she has a younger brother you know, he's a year old right now, but it's, you know, in, in looking at the way that, that I've, I've helped raise my nieces and nephews as well, like teaching our children right from wrong. And this goes right back to what Shannon says is, you know, teaching is definitely the way forward, teaching the men around me how to act better, but also teaching my kids what to expect and also how to act is definitely the way that I personally can best fight that fight. Right on. I think this is a great place to end it. We've been talking for an hour uh, and 15 minutes. Um, I, I would love to for us to get back together and have more of these discussions. Uh, I feel like uh, this was a very riveting conversation. Um, can, I, can I say one thing too? Like, don't mind me. Um, I, I think that, like, based off of, like, what Levi's saying, too, it's, like, the whole idea is, like, you know, th- these groups are healthy and uh, proper, but, like, don't lose your, don't lose your values to the group and be mm-hmm. brave and courageous enough to stick up, and, you know, while, while, you know, gathering, you know, what's good from the group and what have you, and, like, I, I think that that's a cool balance, and it's not maybe an answer, but, like, that's something that can be bring us all into the future mm-hmm. definitely definitely Jose yeah and like honestly I hope that we take this conversation keep running with it and kind of keep in the spirit of like teaching like that was one something that Chen pointed, pointed out earlier like it's so it's so necessary like to keep teaching that like younger generation how to have th- these conversations, how to like keep empathy open, how to express positive masculinity, like all, all the things we covered today and kind of continuing that process and that, and that it should perpetuate itself. All right. Um, I, th- I think that'll do it guys uh, for Liv, for Jose, for Shannon, for Levi. I'm Jay Hezekiah. This has been Shooting the Shit. Everybody have a good one.
still the 